Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the 10th anniversary recording of the Chatterbox video game radio show. My name is Alon. And my name's Ara. So, wow. It's been a long time. And, uh... But does, no it one, like, does it feel like 10 years to you? No. Well, I thought you just meant since we last saw each other. But no. I guess 10 years is longer than that. I've been away in Minnesota for a week. Were you... The the cold that happened all over the country didn't hit Phoenix, right? No, we, there weren't any vortexes here at yeah. all. It missed like Phoenix and Denver or something. And the rest of the country was... Well, I basically was in an apartment for several days straight and the only time i would leave is to like get some lunch and then back in an apartment so it wasn't a whole lot of fun but didn't, didn't they like close down the whole city or tell people to like not go outside because they would die immediately um a friend of mine has like a brother in high school and that brother had the day off not because it was snowed in or anything but like they knew on sunday that on monday they would have the day off just because of cold right that's it. Just temperature. I was fascinated by that. That's never happened to me when I was a kid. But I guess it's because kids have to wait for the bus. And if you wait for the bus, you get frostbite. Yeah. You might freeze before the bus arrives. Yeah. So that's... that's weird. But whatever. Um, like I said, I was in an apartment and luckily the electricity didn't go out. So I was safe. Anyway, I've been posting on our Facebook page a lot lately. Yes, you have. And I've been posting a little. Yeah, thanks to this fancy fancy new app that I started using, Buffer, it makes it way easier to post consistently on our page. So I don't like post 10 things at once when I happen to be looking through the feed. So anyway, the result is what seems to be like higher engagement on our page. So I encourage everyone who's listening to uh, go like our page and hang out on it. I don't really know why I tell you to like it. I don't know what advantage I get from that. But I mean, it keeps you in more in tune with, with us and what we have to say about the articles that we read and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you want to hear from us, go ahead. Well, it's the universal, you know, competitive badge of honor. I mean, if a lot of if a lot more people like us than other things, then we feel really good about yeah. ourselves. I have no illusions <laughs> to the idea that we will we will somehow get anywhere near as many likes as like uh, you know, well, one up's dead, right? But those sorts of things, those podcasts that had lots of people liking them. Well, one can dare yeah. to dream. Yeah, I'm actually I'm running ads right now to get more fans. Again, don't know why, but I've got a bunch of free money for Facebook, so I might as well make an ad. So if you listen to Facebook, I am targeting your friends. Not if you listen to Chatterbox and you're a fan, I'm targeting your friends. So you should tell them to listen even more. All right. Yeah. Okay. So what, what shall we talk about today? Stuff that I put on the Facebook page. That's really why I brought it up. <laughs> so it's a lot of fodder for us to discuss. So I had I had put up one thing suggesting that I would talk about it this week when this week happens and and that is now. Um there was an article about you know one of the companies creating a a controller for for mobile device, right? I don't know if this is specifically for iOS, but it definitely fits around an iPhone and it gives you a a controller with like a d-pad or an analog stick or something i guess i can go to the article and this is something that like you said they're not the only ones who are doing it there's more than one competitor in this arena yeah there's definitely more than one because i think ios 7 like unleashed the ability to connect controllers which is why they're all of a sudden hitting the market because right. ios 7 came out relatively recently so some company is doing that and um it looks all right it's still it follows the stupid xbox system of putting one um one analog stick up high and one analog stick down low which i think is stupid i think the nintendo wii or wii u with their gamepad pro do you know what i'm talking about yes it puts the two analog sticks at the same same it's, level it's better if they're at the same level yeah. isn't it i don't know why microsoft is all all about that but anyway um yeah so they're doing that but they're making a controller and the point is in the article Someone, the guy who wrote the article is going on and on about how, like, it doesn't really solve a problem. Like, there's the, mobile uh, devices making wait, wait, wait. games. I want to I say the, the exact words he used because it's <clears throat> funny, right? It was, to him, it was the solution that never had a problem, right? Yeah. So if he had seen any games that used simulated D-pad and buttons, he would realize that there is a problem. Yeah. Well, let, let me tell you my... Because I, I didn't bother reading the piece because I just decided you would and that would be enough. Yeah. But I read the headline and my reaction after reading the headline is, what? Yeah. So here, but I, I even said, 
that I, I have mixed feelings about this because on the one hand, let's think about what happened in the real world, right? These devices came out, they had no buttons and people did two things. They made games that needed buttons and failed miserably because they didn't have them. And they also made games that didn't need buttons or made do with, you know, what they had, right? And then there were a very small number in between that kind of simulated buttons, but they did it in such a way where it was so minimal that it wasn't a big deal. But those few and far between. Right. And by buttons, you mean some kind of implementation of a standard style, controller style button. Yeah. So I'll give you an example, right? There's there's a bunch of games, I don't even know which ones, but there's a bunch of games that have like a simulated D-pad and buttons, and those all universally fail. Right. Those, I don't think I need to give you an example. Somehow this Ben Kuchera individual doesn't understand or can't fathom how actually grasping a haptic device is about a million times better when you're doing that. Exactly. Um, Then there's other games like uh, Cannabalt and Fruit Ninja and every other game you've played that doesn't totally suck um, on on these game pads. Um, Rayman Jungle Run is one of the more recent ones. But... Here's the funny thing about all of those, right? Why do you think one of the reasons why they're so successful is that the designers have recognized the horrendous shortcoming of the touchscreen for that kind of interaction. And what they did was say, look, it's so bad that what we're going to do is we're going to make a game where you only need to press something somewhere and it doesn't matter where you press it, right? It's a one touch game and you don't even have to, uh, hit a particular spot on the screen most of the time. Yeah, well, and, I mean... And those work really well because what the designer did was he made severe concessions in the design of the product straight from the beginning in order to accommodate this type of input device, something that this uh, Kuchera guy uh, doesn't seem to acknowledge at all. Yeah, and I mean, Ara is saying you don't have to hit any particular spot. I mean, Fruit Ninja is not that way, and there are some games where you have to touch certain places on the screen, but... It, I get your point completely. Basically, well, it's it's an extreme example, yeah, right? But the at games the very have least, been very very simplified to accommodate the simple control right, possibilities. Right. Like, what do they have to do? Because one of the problems, and I'm I'm just so I'm just surprised that this is even like talked about as if it's not a problem, right? The issue with the touchscreen in general is that when you're pushing something, you do not know what you're pushing because the entire surface is undifferentiated, and that's the advantage you get by a physical button. Well, until this Tactus company gets their stuff in in our phones and tablets. But for uh, well, those who know who that is or what that stuff is, it's basically liquid buttons. Well, it's kind that, of awesome. If that works, that would be kind of awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's the thing. There's those two sides. And then there's – I referred to some in the middle. Rage on the iPad is a really good example of something that sits in the middle um, where you can control it without the D-pad and it works really well. Right. But my whole but, point with um, going through that past – last exposition is that um, I don't mean to say that it never matters where you press the button or where you press the action. What I mean to say is that what they've done is that because it's so impossible for you to know where you've pressed because you can't feel what you're doing, they've made the um, room for error gigantically huge, which also restricts you. Yeah, in well, the design. Or they designed a game where you literally press anywhere on the screen and it does the one function. Right. You can and, do. Then, and that's the extreme you know, example. Cannibalt and jungle run and stuff. Yep. But, um, my point in bringing up, bringing up, um, rage. Yeah. Uh, is, is this right? So that game, it was based on an existing game that worked in a certain way, right? Um, it was a first person shooter and you have the full, you know, methods of controlling a first-person shooter until they bring it to the iPad. And then it's an all-on-rails first-person shooter where you don't move the character. The character moves and you just turn the character. Right. And and why is it that way? Exactly. Why is it that way? Right? Because without that, the game would suck because you would have too much requirement to control the thing without the ability to control it. Does this sound like a compromise that somebody had mm-hmm. to make because uh, they're using a touchscreen? Exactly. So a controller would solve that problem. So when I said I have mixed feelings, I mean, if if the device had had controller input from the beginning, which first of all, I mean, would change the whole scene of the iPhone and never would have been successful, blah, blah, blah. Um, if it had buttons from the beginning, then all of these other interesting games that have been made as a result of not having the controls wouldn't have been made. And that would be sad, right? Because there are some genuinely interesting games can't really think of any right now, but there are interesting experiences or, or interesting solutions to the problem 
that have been uh, produced. There's definitely some types of games that work better on a touchscreen tablet, but none of those games are fast-paced action games that require you to press multiple inputs simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Or in concert. And games that are really interesting, at least to me, like involve some amount of precision. And you only can do that if the entire screen is one button. So like Cannabalt and Jungle Run, the the infinite runners are perfect examples of this. Yep. You can be precise, but it's in a very limited scope. The game design is very, very limited. Whereas like now that the that the systems these mobile phones are getting strong enough, like you, you could put an entire PlayStation game or PlayStation Two game that might be a stretch, but um, right on your mobile phone. But you can't really do it because you don't have a controller. But if you have the controller, and then there's this whole PlayStation Now thing, which I think we'll talk about later in the show, where um, Sony is going to be streaming like full fledged games to whatever device you want, basically up through like the PlayStation Three generation. You know, you couldn't do that on your phone, but if you get their controller. If you get the DualShock 3 that Bluetooth connects or whatever, then great. You could actually play the real game. So this isn't the exact product I listed on Facebook, but the idea is a controller separate to the device. So now, like, let's say you carry around your iPhone and your PlayStation Vita, right, in your backpack or wherever, whatever it is you use to carry stuff around. Um, now you could carry just the iPhone and the PlayStation 3 controller and then stream all of your games to your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, wherever it is you go, Um and that's that's great, right? It's like a whole separate system. So I think we both agree that there is definitely a problem. But I liked, I think of it as this. If it was there from the beginning, we would have missed out on some cool things that happened. Because I think people wouldn't have been forced to be creative. Uh, maybe. All right. It's possible. So I'm done with that. Unlikely. We'll be right back. But possible. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And you know, it's sponsored by the University of Advancing Technology. Their website is uat.edu. Our website is chatterboxgameshow.com. And of course, our Facebook page is slash chatterboxvideogameradio. It's really long. Hey, Lon. Yes. Do you think I sounded a little bit like Eek the Cat in the last segment? I do not know who Eek the Cat is. Eek the Cat is a character that talks like this. Nope. Nope. Never heard of it. I feel like I did a little bit. Okay. Well. But, oh well. I'm sure we'll get over that. Well, it's, uh, I mean, I'd rather talk like this the whole show, but it's going to be really hard. Okay. No. Um, Please don't. (laughs) So, let's see. What was going on? Hey, so, you know I got a PlayStation Plus trial. Yeah. For my PS3. You had one of those before. For seven days. Yeah, this was the one, right? That I was like, okay, I'm going to get to play Grid 2 without actually having to buy the thing. Yeah. I'm just so glad I didn't buy the game. <laughs> okay. It's it, it only... You know how they were saying that demos just make you not want to buy the game? Yeah. Well, it's true. But <laughs> this only wasn't a demo. When, right, that's also <laughs> true, right? Only when the game itself is really, really bad. But you um, liked the original Grid. Yeah, I was so ins- I was so upset that see when I get upset about things like this, um, I get really motivated to do disruptive things. That's not actually the precise word I'm looking for, but anyway, 
So I'm like, how can I, how can I get back at Codemasters? How can I get back at the company who took something that I love so much and uh, basically pandered to the lowest common denominator in order... Would they add more lens flare or something? It, well, under the auspices <laughs> of selling more, apparently, right? Um, there's more lens flare, but it's just like what's happening with, I feel like, so many other games. Almost every game these days that's supposed to be a mass market game or a big game, quote unquote. Which is that the new version that comes out, they do things that on the surface, if you uh, study it, are things that... You know, they do to accommodate people who aren't accustomed to games, are new to games, don't not too good at games, all this other stuff, right? To appeal to a broader audience, but they do it in such a way that's just so insulting. And I think that they're actually they're not even doing what they think they're setting out to accomplish. In other words, so this game, it's kind of like it kind of does that. That thing that Dirt did, which is... Um, oh, that's another Codemasters game, right? Where somebody best described it, the last couple ones, as uh, it makes me feel like a downy on a Make-A-Wish tour. I, I did not hear that description. So basically, what that means is that the there's narration and voice, and it tells you what to do, and it just does it in a way that... Yeah, you didn't like the narrator in Dirt. No, no, it's just, it's, it treats you like an idiot. It's, it's like, oh, wow, you're, here's what happens in the beginning of the game. And this is another reason why this stuff is really bad. So the beginning of the game is this introduction, introductory narrative thing, right? And this is another problem when you try to mix narrative into real games. Into a racing game? Yeah. Because, um, because uh, for some reason, they think that that's the way to go, that that's, that's the next step, which is also insane. So it's a racing game, and in the beginning, when you first start, you know, the narrator comes full force, and he's like, okay, you know, you're an unknown, some unknown guy racing a track, and you try and do this lap, and then you do this one lap, right? And it's just like, and here's the first part that's funny, is that the guy won't shut up when you're racing. Something that something like um, driving a car takes a lot of concentration, and when somebody's trying to tell you stuff, and when you're trying to concentrate on driving, especially in a game, that's really distracting. No matter what you do, you're going to be losing out on information. You're going to be ignoring what the guy's telling you, or you're going to be ignoring what you're doing. But you're going to be missing something one way or another. So that's I, I think there was I don't remember which one it was, but a racing game where they tell me when to turn and stuff. No, no, it's not like that. She's just saying things. He's basically like, it's like somebody's telling you how to play the game the first time you're playing the game. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. That, and, and that's the, cool. And the, okay, but it gets much worse because basically what happens is that the conceit of the narrative is that you do this, you got this one like trial run to do something somewhere as this unknown up and coming somehow racer and you were so good that some team noticed you. And now, you know, you get a car and you get a ride and this is the start of your career. This is where how the whole narrative thing unfolds, right? And the reason why this is completely ineffectual is that no matter how good or bad you do, the narrator is telling you you're an incredible racer. Wait, what? Seriously? Of course, because that's the only way that you can advance the narrative that they've set up for you that you have been lodged within. Yeah, but even... Even games tend to... So if they have someone who's ready to pump you up, they're like, oh, well, you didn't get it this time, but maybe next time. Like, they're positive about it, but they're not saying you do wonderfully when you don't do wonderfully. Um, well, they sh- certainly shouldn't, but that's what they do in this game. And this is a huge problem because in the first five minutes of your experience, what happens is you've, you've never played this game before, so you're not going to be good. And then this guy's telling you you're incredible, and then you're like, well, wait a minute. I just I just did this really crappy lap in a game that I'm trying to figure out that I don't really know how to play well yet. But you're a child prodigy. And, you're going to move up and get a car and get sponsored. Right. So that's perhaps what um, either the producer or I, I have to think that the producer or some of the producers or one of the producers of this game, this is somehow their thing. Because no self-respecting designer who's cognizant of all these trade-offs would ever deliberately wanted to do this in a game 
because the cognitive dissonance is so great that it really, really puts you in a state where you're like this game right off the bat, this game is lying to me about how good I am if I take it seriously. And if I don't take it seriously, then what's the point of all that? So anyway, the result is that they put in all this extra effort in the game to make it more accessible. And what they've actually done is the exact opposite or worse of what they've been trying to do. And you can, I think you can even support this because I looked up the sales um, and okay, VG charts uh, or game rankings, like you know, none of these are actually 100% reliable. But by all metrics, the Grid 2 is, sold, is selling at a rate of about half that of Grid 1. Grid 1, which did not nearly make as many so-called accommodations to uh, be accessible. But wasn't that game, like, critically acclaimed? Well, yeah, it was. Okay. And, and you know what, this, is, this, is a, this also makes me think of, I had another topic in here um, that I'll mention at the same time because it was, because this is totally the exact same idea, right? So this other game called uh, Need for Speed Rivals came out pretty recently. And I'm, I'm sad that I had to go to a blog that does not necessarily review video games to finally see somebody critically expressing this opinion that I'm about to explain to you. But it was on Autoblog, which is an, it's an automotive blog. And that guy said... Need for Speed Rival suffers from being too accessible. And my reaction is, finally, somebody, somebody in the press, people in the press are noticing that they're going too far with this chicanery. And it's not even a game reviewer. And it's not even a, a guy who, uh, well, I mean, I don't know how much he plays games, right? But it's not in a venue about games. Um, and he's talking about how, and this is what they do in the big AAA games, a lot of them, uh, especially the Need for Speed style ones. He's talking about how, you know, all the cars basically feel like they're the same car. And you actually don't... He said you don't even have a choice of, like, a manual transmission in that game. It's just automatic no matter what you do. I mean, it is Need for Speed. It's not a high bar, right? Well, I mean, ironically, right? That's, like, one of the biggest money-making franchises as far as racing games go. Do you know if this is one of the ones that Criterion made? Oh, gosh, I don't even remember what the developer is for this one. It might be. I mean, Criterion has been doing this stuff ever since Burnout uh, 3 and onward. Um, and people are finally noticing. I mean, it's taken a long time for people to notice, but I'm glad at least some people are noticing. Because this is this is no good. It's like, um, it kind of goes to what we were saying last week about a huge part of our industry operating in an arena where it doesn't actually have to prove itself that it's successful. Well... You know, we're talking right now specifically about driving games. And I don't know, maybe I'm going on a tangent, but like, I'm definitely going on a tangent. I'm starting to think why and wonder why anyone would make a racing game these days, right? Because it's, it's kind of a crowded field. And I mean, if you well, can... Well, that's why uh, at least one racing game that I've worked on in the past was canceled. Because that's what the marketing director said. Right, because just... There's so many of the same things. Yeah, but I never, you know what? I never actually accept that at face value. Well, and it's not like you can't make, but if you just try to make the same old, same old, you're done. And then I look at the stuff Criterion did well, like yes. with, with Burnout. And it's yeah. like they took a different approach you have and to made do a different it in a game. New way. Yeah, and, and Burnout 2 was incredible. That was the pinnacle of that series. And then with 3, 4, and onward, basically um, they just took more and more agency and technique and depth out of the game for the sake of accessibility. And maybe in that example, maybe they sold more and more and more. But my point is, is that so many people in development think, and especially publishing, that there is a positive relationship to the changes they make to the, how the game is constructed and presented and how that leads to sales. And I'm challenging all those notions. And I bet you you can't prove it. Just so because you you're saying by, by trying to widen the audience, you've actually cannibalized the, the hardcore audience. At the very least, that's what you're doing. At the very worst, what you're doing is you're actually cannibalizing on both ends without knowing it. Because these things belabor and piss off and annoy players, even first-time players. It's, they annoy people with brains. Oh. And everybody has one of those. 
We're back once again. Um, before we went to break, though, you were talking about Grid, and you implied when you started talking about Grid that you had done something sort of to retaliate for the bad game. I got so excited when I was talking, I forgot to tell everybody. Okay, so what what is it that you did? Okay, first of all, the word I was looking for was I wanted to do something subversive. So... What does that mean in this case? What that means is I wanted to communicate my dismay to Codemasters. But quietly. Not quietly, just subversively. So they didn't know it was you? Well, they can know it's me. That's fine. Okay. Since, since, since somebody like me has no way to communicate anything, right, as a consumer, anyway, uh, you don't have any way of expressing your dismay. Oh, I, could, I could teach you how to make Facebook ads that could do that. Mm, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> we, well, should, we should do this, actually. We should make a Facebook ad from the Chatterbox page, and it could just be the ad saying to, those, to the people who work there and to some of the press, say, why did you make such a crappy game? Uh, well, okay. Well, here's what I did. Because it's the only f- facility that I knew to exploit. You can, put your, you can make a username, an account name, a profile name. In that game, you have a first name and a last name. Yeah. And I know it's highly likely that they're collecting this information because that's what we did when I worked on an, another racing game a couple of years ago. And that's what doesn't mean did. that any human actually looks at individual names, though. No, 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 we do. We had this list. Uh, I remember when I was working in a similar situation, we basically, somebody outputted a list of the, um, of all of the usernames select that were chosen and had a histogram of basically, you know, like what the most common ones are and so on and so forth. Anyway. Um, common names? They're not, they don't have to be unique? Uh, no, this isn't unique because this isn't actually like a credentialed thing. This is just what you're setting up your thing as. Okay. Anyway, I made my first name. Grid one was better. And my last name was Cosmaster Sucks. Okay. And I felt very satisfied after doing that. <laughs> And look, I want to. I have to say this every time I say something super critical of a product because I've just done an American Idol style bashing of this thing. Look, I'm sure everybody who worked on it worked really hard. I'm sure a lot of things in that game took a lot of effort to make. I know for a fact that it does. It's not any. Uh, it's a certain. It was certainly a monumental effort, but. Whoever drove the direction of that game, I felt like was driving it in a horrendously bad direction, and it's a big mistake. Just because of some audio? No, because of everything else, which I'm pretty sure everybody doesn't want me to want to hear me spout off about it for the rest of the show. Okay, but it, it wasn't just them. Yeah, and that the audio was that was just the one aspect of how the game really just treats you like you don't have any brains. Okay, as long as it wasn't just that. Because I feel like you could just turn that off or something. Yeah, you can just turn that off. Okay. I'll tell you this. Look, uh, there's something fun about the game. And maybe I'll get it, but I'll probably get it used now. I have no interest in getting it new anymore. And when I do, it'll be for $5. <laughs> but, and at a point when you're not really using your PlayStation 3 anymore. Uh, yeah, so uh, especially after... Man, after... Feeling the difference between something like that and Gran Turismo, uh, that just made it all the more stark to me. Well, I mean, they're very different games. Yeah, but I mean, there's just, I've become so accustomed to playing racing games with such high level of precision that um, what what they did to Codemasters, which is going to super non-precision land, um, it's just, it really doesn't appeal to me anymore. Anyway. Okay. Something else funny happened to me. 
So, you know there's still Xbox Live Arcade. There is. And On the Xbox 360, at least. You know that I, um, in my infinite cheapness, take great satisfaction also in participating in free promotions and so on to collect credits for Xbox Live Arcade because I don't want to give them any of my real money. Yeah, did you get an email that said those are expiring? Not yet, but hold that thought. All right. So they were doing, this is around the time when they did the whole um, currency changeover thingy, right? Yeah. So I think I have like $2 in my account after the currency changeover thingy. And then Microsoft was doing this other promotion, like sign up this, like it was basically uh, allow us to collect this email address and we'll uh, give you 2,500 points, which I think will equate to 250. Uh, so I did that. Two, 200 points would equate to 250. Not 2,500 points would be a lot. No, 2,500 points would equate to $2.50. I believe. Nope. But okay. How much How much is 2,500 points? 400 points was $5. No, but it's not that they changed the points is what I'm telling you. No, it's no longer points. Now it's just dollars. Yeah, but then they have this new currency that they're using just for promotions that's going to translate into dollars. Oh, yeah, I have no idea about that. Yeah, they did that, too, because you have to, because this is their promotional thing. And since they discarded the old currency, and since they're not, they don't want to say that. So we're not talking about Microsoft points. Exactly. It's a third currency. (sighs) All right. Well, I I apologize. Okay. Well, I have no idea this even existed. I'm starting to get the feeling like Microsoft should be apologizing for all these currencies. But anyway, so basically what this means is if I cash that in, I'm going to be have around $5. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, I can buy one of the cheap games for right. $5. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good. But then I thought, wait a minute, there's nothing I want so far in XBLA. And this place has been a graveyard for a while now. No, I mean, there have been lots of good games on XBLA. Oh, I would definitely not use the word lots. Okay, there are some... There's nothing. Anyway, I'm I'm left with the conclusion that all this effort that I took in collecting all of this uh, currency promotionally is uh, this is near the end of the product's life cycle, and I'm probably never going to use it. So, oh well. So, well, I mean, those points convert over to the Xbox One as well. Oh yes, maybe in three years there'll be something on Xbox One that I want. Yeah. So I got an email today from Microsoft, I mean, supposedly from Microsoft, saying that I had points that were going to expire. I had no idea I had any points that could expire, nor do I yeah. know where these points came from. And which currency is this? Because uh, so far we This have was just three. dollars. It said I have $2.69 that I can use up until like February 14th or something. Um but I don't remember ever getting points that would expire. I mean, I've paid for some points, and those are in my account, and those shouldn't go away. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I never got... Not to mention my credit is not $2.69. I never got such an email, and I feel like I'm in the same spot as you are with this. It just says, and I don't think this is a phishing email, though I didn't actually vet it properly. Um, it just says, Microsoft promotional email expiry notification. We just wanted to let you know that some of the promotional balance in your Microsoft account will be expiring soon. $2.69. Expiration date, February 13th. You can use it to buy stuff in the Windows Store, the, micro- the Windows Phone Store, Xbox Games, Xbox Music, Xbox Video. What do I have $2.69 of? I don't know. This looks like another store, right? Because it's not just the XBLA store if they're mentioning uh, all those other I mean, that's true. Maybe stuff I bought at the Microsoft Store yielded some sort of credit. I have no idea. I'm confused. Man. I don't know. This stuff is so simple. There's no way anybody could like take advantage of security hacks to steal personal information or anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, this is not some phishing email trying to send me somewhere else. Okay. Well, then I'm confused. I don't know what that credit's for. I, just, I wonder if I could use that to just put it into my Xbox account. That would be useful. And then, Half of one of those games that you don't want. Perhaps. You know what, you know what incenses me, though? There is one game that I want. But it's more than five dollars. It is the it is the one game, as far as I'm aware of, 
that Microsoft has actually removed from their XBLA marketplace. Is that the only reason you want it? No. I the, the only reason I want it is because I think it is one of the best games on there. And it's Outrun Arcade. They did remove that. Yes. Why did they remove it? Probably because it was one of the best things on there. <laughs> I'm guessing it was licensing issues like we talked about last week. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, if that's the case. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't care about Outrun very much. So. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, you want to do the Lords of Shadow now? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. We've got a couple minutes. All right, let me set it break. up. That's what I was... I think that's the right choice. Go and then uh, we'll see uh, we'll see if enough people get incensed like me. Um, okay, so this is the sequel of the Lords of Shadow game, which is, uh, I guess, not out yet. But the press are having some uh, looks at it, and they yeah. have some access Now, to last it. week, we talked about Lords of Shadow, subtitles, something, something, HD, magic of something. Yeah, which one was. Of those. For Xbox Live Arcade and PSN, and it was sort of a remake, yeah. although it was the original of the 3DS game. It was the HD version of the 3DS game. Right. That is not what we're talking about here. Yes, totally different. This is the sequel to the so-called uh, AAA yeah, game that came out. the full next-generation release game, although I, this might not be next-gen. This might just be PS3 and Xbox um, 360. You know what? I don't know. Um, maybe... But whatever it is. Okay. So... Somebody on uh, usgamer.net, or I don't know if it's usgamer or usgamer, but it's one of those, wrote a piece that was titled, Yes, Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2 did make me feel uncomfortable. And basically, she's talking about a scene that she was shown in the game where, um, you know what, I'm just going to read the scene that she describes as she wrote it. The scene in question being the one in which a withered Dracula stumbled toward a family with his arms outstretched, the camera abruptly switching to a first-person perspective. He kills the father outright, then grabs the mother and sinks his fangs into her neck, draining her life energy to restore his. Basically... So let me me cut you off there because we're going to go to break in a second, right? Oh, you want this kind of cliffhanger? Yeah. I want to ask the audience in the the minute and a half or so that you have this break, after listening to that description from the author, right? This was the author of the piece uh, saying that she's uncomfortable. Um, What is it about that, hearing just what you described, that would, do you think, makes her uncomfortable? What is it about that that could make anyone feel uncomfortable? We'll talk about that when we get back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. Okay, we're back. It's Chatterbox. Let's go right back into it. Uh, well, before we do that, hang on. It's a little bit, a little bit more delay. Because I need people to take a moment to just imagine if you're driving right now. Imagine you were on your computer and were going to uat.edu to learn about the University of Advanced Technology. If you're at home, if you're on a computer, you can actually do that instead of just dreaming it. 
All right. And then you come back to, to reality and you ask Ara, okay, Ara, what is it about Dracula? Uh, what, what was the word? Like sitting his fangs or sink, sinking his fangs into this woman's neck, given that he is a vampire and that is kind of his thing. Sinks his fangs into her neck, killing her, stealing her life, blood or energy or whatever to, to replenish his own. You know that, that What's segue, the problem with that? That segue, Ira Glass would be envious. Okay, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to follow this up by revealing basically the um, either the subtitle or the first line of this person's article. And she says, How one scene may end up unintentionally defining a game by trivializing sexual assault for the sake of easy shock value. Yeah. So I guess there was a point where she demoed the game. I'm, I'm thinking with a few other people. And then one of the producers was like, hey, what did you think of that scene? Did it make you uncomfortable? And that's why the article is, yes, it did make me uncomfortable because she says that it did. Right. And as you pointed out, she feels it's somehow sexual in nature. Well... I guess. And and maybe it is, and maybe it isn't, but here's the thing. It's, um, I mean, what do vampires do? I uh, mean, they sink their teeth into victims' necks. Yeah. And I mean, okay, uh, maybe that's tantamount to rape, but he's a vampire. That's what he does. Yeah. Um, I find this a really surprising overreaction I'm not saying that people are not entitled to feel uncomfortable about things. Of course you are. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, well, uh, well, clearly, like the producer was saying in this piece, in this interview, that was their goal. And I find it... Although she never described him as saying that we wanted to make it uncomfortable because of how we see it relates to to well, sexual assault or rape. Certainly. And, and, and without a doubt, um, it's a little edgy. Yeah, but like, imagine a movie 50 years ago, someone getting brutally murdered and graphically, right? Well, I, I kind of feel Before like... Before people were used to it. I kind of feel like it's that sort of thing. Yeah, he might have wanted to make people uncomfortable because it's putting you in a first-person view of, of killing someone. Right. Uh, not because he wanted to of simulate raping, rape. Oh, wait, it's first-person view of you raping somebody's neck as a vampire. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. Yeah. So I think his intention to make someone uncomfortable is very different than the way that he actually made this person uncomfortable. Well, let's let's suppose, just for sake of discussion, that the vampire Dracula is raping her neck. Okay. I mean, I think that that's a completely fair description. Okay, so suppose that's the case. Um, so... Well, he killed the guy right out. Though they don't describe how. Um, I mean, there's nothing bad. There's there's no commentary here about what happened to the man in this situation. But somehow what happened to the female in this situation is bearing uh, all kinds of scrutiny, which I, I don't understand. I don't understand why that. Why is this getting this kind of scrutiny when. Well, it's only from this one person, thankfully. Well, yeah, but I mean, we understand that these types of issues are coming up a lot these days and, and they're very, I mean, they're super controversial, but I think they're super controversial because they're getting more and more outlandish. I mean, where is, if you cannot express something that is really uncomfortable as an author to people because you want to convey something and that's your objective, if you're not if you're not permitted to do that, then what's the point of what's the point? And I'm going to say one last thing about this. Uh, at least um, I don't think anyone's suggesting that he not be allowed to do it. Well, okay. Here's the, here's my reply to that. So somewhere else in I'm going to read two more sentences, two more uh, paragraphs near the end, and this is basically s- summarizing. Her feelings about the situation. First one goes, so while I applaud Cox and his team for their desire to take on challenging material, I really hope they cut the family scene before Lords of Shadow 2 launches next month. Family scene, that's what we're describing, what we just described. Yeah, that's the term they use internally to describe that. Yeah, so um, she's not saying, like, 
it must be censored, but she's saying, I really hope they censor themselves. Second part, here's her conclusion. Normally, I prefer to give creators the benefit of the doubt, but in the current climate, in which allusions to rape and sexual assault in the, in the video game culture have sparked extremely contentious debate, comma, I'm going to interject here, just because there's a lot of debate about, about something doesn't mean that it's legitimate or meaningful or anything like that, comma, Lords of Shadow 2 manages to come off as both insensitive and more than a little tone deaf. With that, I'm comfortable saying that it makes me uncomfortable, but despite Cox's pride, Cox was the producer, in my saying so, I don't see that as a positive in the least. I just feel like this is um, nothing more than an outburst of, I didn't like it, so for everybody else, it should be changed. Yeah, I just don't even see the leap that she's making. It's too, Here's the problem. Vampire's job is to put his fangs in someone's neck. I don't really see that leap either because this kind of thing happens all, kind, all the time in other media. And it's not getting scrutinized to this level in other media. So why is it getting scrutinized here? Why is it well, not okay here? And why is it okay there? I mean, there? you read one article here, but I have a feeling you don't read the articles uh, that come out about you know, whatever vampire movie happens. Ah, uh, you know what? You may be right. This this same type of article might exist for vampire movies as well. But um, it's just it's just a silly argument, in my opinion. And um, it's weird that she is so sensitive to this. I mean, it might not be. I don't know what her history is. But, uh, I mean, it's a vampire. My worry is that she didn't describe the scene very well. And therefore, we're getting a warped view of it. Because I have not played the game. Well, that, I mean, that is somebody, I mean, that was completely her responsibility. Yeah, I'll give you that. I okay. Let, we have a little bit left. So yeah. I think there's one really big topic that's actually kind of not uh, altogether different from this one that we want to take on. Okay. Ultimate Gay Fighter. Ultimate Gay Fighter. That is a good one. Yeah. So there's a game that some dude who's gay made, and it's basically just a, I want to say a street fighting game, but I don't know if you fight in the street at any point. But it's got a bunch of uh, gay dudes and ladies. And basically, you know they're gay simply because the game refers to them all as gay. But also because it's just full of stereotypes. They're super gay. Yeah. The So the guy, um, the developer of the game, was interviewed on VG247. And VG247 says, The game's roster is formed primarily of American gay men leading to accusations that it marginalizes the other letters that form LGBT. And this guy, uh, the developer himself, Patrick, right? I mean, he wanted to be really clear. So in the same interview, he's like, look, it's not meant to be hateful. If you allow yourself to make fun of a stereotype in a way that isn't cruel, I think you diminish the power of that stereotype. I'm gay, and although I'm not a stereotype, I have stereotypical traits. Why not laugh at that and enjoy it? And sounds totally rational to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we both feel the same way. I think this is interesting because what this game is actually creating, I think, is an even more obvious split between people, let's say, in the gay community, which anybody who's in this community is welcome. Please, uh, let's have an authoritative gay community voice to chime in on this um, because I'm not gay and you're not gay. There's a contingent of people who feel like for something that is stereotypical um, or something that's possibly negative, it's good to laugh at that. And that's a healthy thing. And there's another contingent that thinks that uh, such things should never see the light of day. And it's kind of like, I'm going to get extreme now. It's kind of like making fun of rape. Because there are some people who think that Rape is so horrible that it should never be made light of. But you could just as... Ra and, and that... I mean, there's some rationality in that somewhere deep down inside, right? I mean, look, if somebody's sensitive to that, they're not going to think it's funny. Of course. But there's an equally valid viewpoint that says that if there's something horrible, the way you take the teeth out of it and the way that you deal with it and the way that you cope with it as a culture is to make fun of it. And that is completely valid and valuable in and of itself, too. And these two sides are completely diametrically opposed. 
Yeah, and the problem is that each one of them is, is a highly emotional position to take. Right? Are you being stereotypical? <laughs> um, oh, you mean the position's highly emotional. See, I was, I was, I was reading into what you were going yeah, to say. Yeah, no, what, whatever, whatever position you take there, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's polarizing, right? So, yeah, but both things can't be true. It's th- something can't be okay and not okay at the same time. So you have to either decide that it's never okay, or you have to decide that it's always okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I agree with you. I think you're going to find people who have mixed feelings about okay, things. Okay, you, you can also decide that it's okay sometimes and not okay other yeah, times, I mean, depending I, on the context. I I wouldn't appreciate that very much. I mean, it, it sort of lends itself to hypocrisy or whatever. But um, yeah, I the thing is, I read this, this particular article didn't say that there was controversy about it. It was... It was as if they were asking the guy to defend himself without anybody attacking him. Mm, so I don't know. I was, I was, you know what? I don't have any info, but I was led to believe that uh, there's lots of people really pissed off. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. Oftentimes when you make a product, you're, you're going to make some people happy with it and some people not so happy. I think it looks super funny. And I am, you know, in touch with, with gay people frequently in, in my life. And, and I feel totally okay laughing about it. But... Uh, I don't know. Maybe some people are real sensitive to it. In fact, I bet if the if somebody else made exactly the same game but wasn't gay, there would be more controversy about it. Isn't that funny how that works? works? Exactly. Even, so though, even though the product is just something that stands by itself. So if we take that as, as true, even though we would never actually know, um, the argument is that it's not the content but the delivery. In which case, you know, then you say it clearly isn't the actual product that bothers you. It's the context. So... Indeed. Anyway, game over tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening for 10 years straight. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.